Hello there. This is Benny, and this is Kyle, and you're listening to the Doctor's Watcher. This is the podcast where I watch Doctor Who, and then I tell you about it. Excellent.、Um, so, listeners, Kyle is getting a very Benny-full weekend, and I'm getting a very Kyle-full weekend because <laughs> we played three hours of Dungeons and Dragons yesterday, and now,、um, which was Saturday. And now today is Sunday, and we're doing、um, two episodes worth of recordings. So, yeah, we're hanging out. We are indeed. It was a good time playing D and D yesterday, and as it, as it always is. <laughs> and I am looking forward to to recording today.、Uh, I will say that yesterday's D and D game was.、Uh, Fairly monumental in that it was the end of this, like the the sort of mini arc or whatever you want to call it in、mm-hmm. the overall campaign, kind of a sub campaign that we did, right? And I do believe that the next session, which we have not scheduled yet, is basically going to be the start of like the big grand finale, essentially. Oh yeah, yeah. Big big stuff coming for our D and D guys, and big stuff coming for the Doctor and his companions in today's episode. Very true. Last time they were guests of Madame Guillotine, and I don't think that she's done with them yet. Dun dun dun. <laughs> well, shall we get right into it today?、Uh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. This is the thirty-ninth episode of the first season, and it is called "A Change of Identity." Cool. And Benny, do you recall、uh, exactly how we were dangling off of the cliff of Madame Guillotine? Yes, I, I believe Madame Guillotine herself was that cliff, because if I remember correctly. Our heroes were about to, or at least、um, Susan and Barbara, I believe, were were going to be guillotined.、Um, but I may be remembering a previous cliff dangler.、Uh, so、no, you are. In a minute, you are correct. In fact,、uh, Barbara、okay. and Susan. Phew. Yeah, <laughs> they got like taken out of their cell and loaded up into this cart that. I have since learned is called a tumbril. Apparently, that's like the specific type of cart that they use to take people to the guillotine. <laughs> that's for that's for the cart heads in the audience. <laughs> so yeah, if you're if you're looking to spot a nice tumbril example, then、uh, actually today's episode is probably better than last week's last times.、Uh, But yeah, Ian actually watched them go through his cell window. He watched the tumbril get tumbrilized away. <laughs> We actually don't get to resolve this cliffdangler for a little while, though. Oh, whoa! That's a change of pace. Yeah, it really is. Usually, you know, they'll knock him out in the first forty-five seconds, but. 
in this episode, after reminding us of what the Cliftingler was, we cut to the doctor who has basically just arrived in the downtown Paris soundstage. <laughs> After he walked, like, he ambled, you know, uh-huh. on his, you know, relaxed and easygoing stroll on his way to Paris. <laughs> right. Yeah, he's he's finally finished his walking music and made it to to Paris. Or, you know, again, as I say, the, the Paris soundstage. Mm-hmm. And, you know, takes a look around We do happen to notice that there's a quiet street nearby, not the street that the doctor's on, but this other street has a couple of men who seem to be waiting for something. And in their dialogue, as they talk to each other, it it sounds like they're planning some sort of rescue. (laughs) That could come in handy. (laughs) Very Uh convenient. (laughs) (laughs) But whatever or whoever it is that they're going to rescue, like, hasn't shown up yet. They're just waiting for for something to apparently pass by them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, wondering, like, where it is, what's taken it so long, etc. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Back at the prison, where Ian still is, it is dinner time. So... Our our local jailer uh, gets to serve Ian his dinner. Yeah, I remember the food that Barbara and Susan got was pretty disgusting. Yeah, the yeah this plate of food that he's got ready for Ian doesn't really look that much better. <laughs> uh, he's he's gonna give them a one star <laughs> review on Yelp. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> I did think that this jailer or this prisoner or whatever has a a pretty interesting method of like dealing with security while they feed the prisoners though. Please tell us more. (laughs) You know, usually you'd expect like what a slot in the door that they like open up and put the food through like a mail slot or something. That's, you Mm -hmm. know, what you often see in TV and whatnot. A classic. Uh Uh-huh. But what they do here is that the jailer shouts at Ian to get to the back of his cell And then while Ian's at the back of the cell, the jailer like unlocks the door and actually like opens the cell door a crack and like pushes the plate of food in with his foot and then closes the door again. They couldn't afford the door slot. Yeah. So, yeah, apparently they've just got to rely on trusting the prisoners to not like bum rush the door, I guess. They don't have that door slot technology figured out yet (laughs) i wonder when they invented prison door slot technology apparently after the french revolution i don't know i I feel like i've seen some (laughs) like you know medieval uh prisons yeah probably you know whether that's historical or not who cares (laughs) i mean who knows So the jailer has closed Ian's door again after mm-hmm. putting the food in, and he's, like, working on getting it locked. He's like, what a good system I have. <laughs> <laughs> it works every time. Uh-huh. But he hears Lemaitre, who's, like, the official. Lemaitre is calling for him, and Lemaitre sounds very impatient. So the jailer just, like, rushes off 
and leaves his key ring in Ian's door. Hmm. That, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was a choice. So he goes and meets with Lemaitre. While, meanwhile, Ian comes up with a plan and explains his plan to the DM, who's like, go ahead and try. Give me an athletics roll and a stealth roll. Cool. You can tell it's a good one. So Ian makes his rolls. He actually does pretty well on both rolls. So Ian, he... person of high rolls. <laughs> he carries out his plan of reaching out through like the window of his cell door. You know, he's got like a barred window in the door of his cell. Mm -hmm. He reaches out between the bars and reaches down to the ring of keys that's still stuck in the door. And he takes the the key ring out and, you know, pulls it back into his cell with him. And he removes... he must have long arms. (laughs) He ends up actually removing his own key from the ring and then he you know re-extends his go-go gadget arms (laughs) to replace the key ring like in you know in the lock of his cell oh interesting yeah he's being crafty about it yeah totally and you know he he retracts his arm just in time for the jailer to finish meeting with Lemaitre and realize that he left his keys back in the door. So the jailer, you know, rushes back to Ian's cell and finds his key ring right where he left it. Ian's a very trustworthy guy. You can uh, leave your keys in the door and he'll just let him be. And, you know, of course, Ian himself is still in the cell so our our good old jailer has no reason to suspect anything (laughs) barbara and susan we finally get to cut back to our cliff dangler scene barbara and susan are being taken through the city in their tumbril you know apparently it's some ways from the prison to the guillotines. So they get tumbled through the city. Mm -hmm. The horse that is pulling their tumbrel has thrown a shoe, which I'm pretty sure is basically the horse equivalent of getting a flat tire. Yeah. I mean, if tumbrel is anything like tumbler, they got to like update their code base. (laughs) So the guards, you know, they get out and, like, get out the jack, start, you know, jacking the horse up so they can, like, swap out the flat tire for the for the spare. Mm-hmm. And Barbara, back in the tumbrel, is like, oh, cool, I think the horse got a flat tire. This might give us a good opportunity to try to escape. Mm-hmm. Susan apparently has a headache and a backache and like you know is reluctant oh come on like earlier she didn't want to escape because there were rats in the sewer uh-huh now now she can't you know run from the tumbril because she has a headache and a backache 
Like I, I really sympathize for for her poor actor who is getting such a frankly useless plot line. In, yeah. In this uh, in this one. Yeah, for real. Barbara kind of pushes her on it. She's like, you know, that's fine. I get it. Like backaches and headaches suck, but like you got to try anyway. Like, you know, what's going to give you a worse headache. A <laughs> uh-huh. No, that, that'll make the headache go away. <laughs> Debatable. That's going to end the headache pretty quickly. <laughs> but, but Susan can't, she, you know, apparently can't. Barbara's like, well, fuck. Okay, Susan, I guess we'll just get guillotine then. Mm-hmm. But while the guards are in the middle of fixing up their horse, these two waiting dudes from the doctor's scene earlier appear. And, you know, they come out of an alleyway. It turns out that they've been waiting for this tumbrel. Nice. They, yeah, they were just Very planning convenient. on planning on rescuing like just whoever happened to be there apparently. Yes. <laughs> very very kind of them. <laughs> and you know, of course it turns out that the delay was like the whole horseshoe flat tire business. So, you know, good thing that they came looking for it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, you know, they go ahead and have a shootout with the guards killing all the guards. Oh. Yeah, I thought it was a, you know, the guards were maybe from the Imperial Stormtrooper training school <laughs> uh, of aiming and shooting mm -hmm. because uh, the rescuers were basically unharmed. Yes, it's really more of a certification program that you can do from <laughs> home. <laughs> uh <-huh>. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, now Barbara and Susan are officially rescued. Excellent. Now we have that uh, Cliff Dangler resolved. Indeed. It's quite possibly the the farthest into an episode that we've gone before resolving a Cliff Dangler. <laughs> the doctor, meanwhile, has managed to find a clothing shop. Cool. And, yeah, he walks in. He's kind of looking around. He got a cloak last time, so uh, <laughs> he's going to have to work hard to, to upgrade that. Yeah. But you know, he's, he's apparently in the market for an upgrade. Mm -hmm. The proprietor of this, of the shop starts making some small talk with him. He says, uh, did you see the executions today? Citizen? <laughs> uh, such pleasant shop. talk. <laughs> yeah. Apparently he's like a huge execution stand. He's a big fan of Robespierre. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's a bit disappointed because he actually didn't get to go see the executions today himself. He was too busy at the shop, I guess. Oh, bummer. And, you know, the doctor didn't see him either because he just arrived in town a little while ago. Mm -hmm. But the doctor starts looking around at the clothes and he sees this nice sash. And, you know, they've just come from the sense sphere so he's pretty into sashes. This one's <laughs> <laughs> this one's actually like much nicer than than even the first elders, both of the first elder sashes. 
Nice. Yeah, this one's got like fringe and like symbols and decorations and shit on it. This whole time he's just been thinking, you know, I think I could pull off a sash. Uh huh. So he's, you know, he starts admiring the sash, and the tailor is like, oh yeah, that's totally like the regional officer of the province sash. And it's just for sale here at the shop. <laughs> uh-huh. The doctor's like, uh, duh, yeah, I know that. And you want to know how I know? Because I am one. Nice. Bluff check. <laughs> so he he rolls his bluff check. The DM does not tell him the results yet. And he goes on with his bluff. He says that he wants to try the whole regional officer uniform on, not just the sash. And, you know, the tailor starts talking about how expensive it is, and the doctor basically says that that doesn't matter because he doesn't have any money. But he's... <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting, interesting uh, direction to take it. Uh-huh. <laughs> he hopes that maybe they can make a trade, though. Oh, okay, okay. And the tailor kind of looks at the doctor's outfit and is like, eh, I don't know that, you know, we don't really have much call for that kind of fashion around here. Right. I haven't even like seen a coat like that before. Yeah. That's how trendy it is. <laughs> that's basically the, the tack the doctor takes. He's like, you know, well, if, if you've never seen it before, then of course you haven't had any call for it around here. And he rolls a persuasion check and actually hits a nat 20 on this. Nice. <laughs> uh, the the DM doesn't quite want to just give it to him, though. So the tailor is like, you know, all right, fine, whatever. If you throw in that nice ring that you're wearing. Mm-hmm. And the doctor thinks for a second. And he's like, all right, fine. If you throw in some parchment and writing materials. Interesting. And, you know, seems they have agreed upon a deal. Nice. Well rolled, Doctor. Indeed. He got some mighty good rolls in this scene. Seems like he and Ian are both uh, rolling them high numbers. I guess maybe Susan just had some some bad rolls. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. I didn't know what direction to take that either. Like, she failed her, you know fear check or on the other hand maybe the dm was like oh it looks like these guards are going to be busy for at least four or five rounds what are you going to do and then susan's player's like i don't know i just kind of want to sit there (laughs) yeah maybe she's just getting bored with the game (laughs) (laughs) hello this is dalek kyle I hope you are enjoying this podcast. If so, please leave a five-star review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. If you are not enjoying it, you can leave a five-star review anyway to give Benny and I a false sense of security. Thank you for listening. Susan and Barbara have been taken to a safe house and they get introduced to their rescuers, Jules and Jean. Oh boy. Okay. (laughs) As well as 
Jules' sister, Danielle. Okay, interesting. Uh huh. And they, you know, Jules, Jules tells her. Christian names only. The less my friends and I know, the less we can admit to when questioned. Okay. Seems like a pretty good idea, you know. Mm-hmm. Just use like your your online handles. You don't want to like <laughs> get your your identities confused and whatnot. Yes. You never know who you're breaking out of a cart on the way to execution. Right. And you know, I say Jules and Jean, but really it's XXX underscore Jules sixty nine. <laughs> and and Jean four twenty, but <laughs> but for simplicity, yes. Susan's feeling a little bit better, but she looks like she still feels pretty bad, and like it seems like it's more than just you know a headache. Like she's actually sick. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll I'll cut her more slack then for not escaping earlier. Yeah, I think that was not really that clear earlier but now it seems like yeah she's actually like feeling pretty sick so Jules and Jean tell Barbara and Susan that you know they're going to be fed they're going to be allowed to rest and then they'll get smuggled out of France but of course they object to this last bit on account of both Ian and the doctor, they're, you know, not mentioning the TARDIS, but, you know, they don't want to, like, leave Ian and the doctor behind. Mm-hmm. They're trying to re- regroup the party, uh-huh. which is always a good idea. Speaking of Ian, we cut back to the prison, and it's basically nighttime now, and Ian calls out for the jailer, and he gets no response. So he whips out his cell key and Gogo gadgets his arm and <laughs> unlocks the door and lets himself out. Nice. The the DM, you know, makes him roll a few stealth checks because he's sneaking down the hallway. But he ends up getting far enough down the hallway to learn that the stealth checks were basically meaningless because the jailer is unconscious, like on the hallway floor with a bottle in his hand. Oh, okay. Well, I was going to say, uh, that was rather convenient, but I guess, I guess we know the reason now. Mm-hmm. Well, we think we do actually, but Ian fails to inspect the body and so he doesn't notice that there's a gash on the jailer's forehead. Hmm. Interesting. But yeah, Ian, you gotta you gotta always inspect the body at least when you're looting it. Hmm. So he continues his escape. He also does not notice that he is being watched by Lemaitre. Dun dun dun. And, you know, Lemaitre basically makes no effort to stop him or anything. Turns out Lemaitre is actually allowing him to escape because he thinks that's how he's going to learn, like, whether or not Webster, Ian's former dead cellmate, gave Ian a message for James Sterling. Devious. So, at the safe house... 
Barbara and Susan both feel a little bit better after they've eaten some food. Susan's, you know, still not great, but like dinner helps. Jules pulls out his map and Barbara and Susan take a look at it and figure out like where they were, where the house that they got captured at was. You know, they figure like, oh, TARDIS was here. We walked through these woods. This was the place where we got captured, etc. by the soldiers. And Jules is like, uh, you didn't happen to like meet a couple of dudes there, did you? Like Darjanson and Rouvray? <laughs> <laughs> now that you mention it. Uh-huh. Barbara's like, oh, yeah, like they totally got wasted. Like, were they friends? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and yeah, apparently they were the previous rescuees and were like on the escape route on their way out of France. Now that does not uh, bode well for these guys' success rate. Yeah. Yeah, Jean thinks that there is an informer somewhere. Apparently this is not the first time that something like this has happened. So he thinks that they must have somebody like telling the French soldiers about the escape routes. Mm. Jules isn't. Our, our chat logs keep showing up in other forums. <laughs> uh huh. Jules is not so sure. He thinks that they should wait until they can talk to Leon, since the escape route is Leon's responsibility. I don't know. I think Jules is pretty sus. Yeah, he seems pretty sus. He he wants everyone to skip the vote, but I'm not sure if that's such a good idea. Barbara's just like, wait, Leon, isn't he friends with 12-year-old Natalie Portman? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, good movie, good movie. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen it, though. Yeah. So, Danielle, who's Jules' sister... She takes Susan off to bed, and then there's a knock at the door, so Jean answers the door, and it's Leon. Cool. Yeah, he's apparently here to tell Jules that there is a stranger in town who's looking for him and asking for him, but that, you know, they're watching the stranger. Like, you know, they've got eyes on him, basically. Good. Is is this stranger the doctor? Uh, we don't know. Okay. Jules gets this information, and he's like, you know, cool, cool. Thanks for letting me know. By the way, Barbara, this is my buddy Leon. And she's like, oh, pleasure to meet you. And he steps in and takes her hand and kisses it and looks her deep in the eyes and says, Pleasure is all mine. Uh-oh. And the HMS Barblayon immediately sets sail. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh, Ian's nowhere around. <laughs> he, he's going to want to know about this. Uh-huh. Barbara, like, hardly even notices when Jean and Jules leave the room, and she and Leon sit down to have a glass of wine together. Oh, dang. All right, this, this, this dude's got... He, he, he's... Well, we'll see. 
um, but yeah, and uh, I I should say, of course, she's entitled to uh, make whatever decisions she she wants, and uh, whoever she decides to share a glass of wine with or whatever is completely her decision. Indeed, that is very true, and much to the chagrin of barbarian shippers everywhere. Yes, yes. I mean, you know, we still ship it, but um, we just want all the characters to be happy. True. So back at the jail, the jailer is now wearing bandages on his head to, you know, remind us of his gash earlier, his forehead gash. And he's, you know, sitting at a table and drinking. And suddenly we hear the doctor's voice from off camera. He's like shouting orders and threats and demanding to be let in. Uh, I think I think he's found just the disguise. <laughs> and, you know, just a moment later, his demands are met and he comes strolling into the jailer's office, demanding to know who's in charge here. And he's wearing his new clothing. And I got to say, he looks pretty fucking great. Awesome. He's got like this big cape on. Nice. He's wearing this cape over this like very sort of military uniformy suit jacket. Cool. He's... You know, he's got the big sash on. Of course. (laughs) As I said, is like much more impressive than a sensorite sash. Yes. And he's wearing, to top it all off, he's wearing this hat that has like two or three huge like plume feathers coming off the top. Nice. Nice. Doctor, very nice. Yeah. It adds like at least an extra foot to his height, I would say. (laughs) Uh stylish doctor very stylish and you know he he walks with a cane of course so he's still got his signature cane cool so yeah definitely quite an impressive look very debonair he hands some paperwork over to the jailer i guess this is the result of the like the writing material that he got from the tailor uh-huh. He hands this papers over to the jailer and, you know, refers to them as his credentials. And basically, as soon as the jailer gets the papers unfolded and, like, starts looking at him, the doctor just, like, yanks it back. <laughs> it's, it's the old thing where you, like, flash your fake FBI badge for, like, half a second and then like, <laughs> put it away again. Right. You know, of course, he doesn't have psychic paper yet, so he's got to got to make do with mm-hmm. with trickery and deception. Mm-hmm. So he goes right into his signature first doctor assholishness, but this time he uses it manipulatively to his own advantage. Mm. Interesting. Uh huh. He wonders, like, why he was not met and why he had to walk through Paris with no guard. And the jailer's like, oh, we, you know, totally would have gone to meet you if we had known you were coming. <laughs> if you were actually, you know, an officer. <laughs> uh-huh. And the doctor's like, oh, well, you did know. I I sent the message myself. Like, you, 
you had to have known I was coming. Like, what if Robespierre hears of this? You're going to be, like, in so much shit, basically. Nice. Keep rolling those bluff checks, Doctor. Uh-huh. And the jailer's like, oh, it's, Robespierre doesn't really need to know. Like, I'm sure I can help you with whatever you need. We can just keep it, you know, between the two of us. Bluff check passed. And the doctor's like, you know, right on. I'm sure this is not your fault, personally. And the jailer's like... Oh, indeed, citizen, I am most conscientious. But when you're assisted by idiots... Of course, of course. Mm, the lousy excuse of, you know, mediocre workers everywhere. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the doctor has successfully passed his bluff checks and carries on with his interrogation of the jailer. He asks, Three traitors were brought here. A man, a woman, and a young child. They fled from my province. I'm sure you remember them. I'm not sure if we saw a young child, but a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Also, I like it. You know, three traitors were brought here. A man, a woman, and a young child. One of them was wearing a red shirt. One of them, you know, could <laughs> only travel on Tuesdays. And one of them uh, <laughs> must either travel with one or the other, but never both. How do you get all three right. through the guillotine? <laughs> the young child was standing to the left of the man. Yes. The woman was in front please figure out the correct order in which they traveled and the order in which they would be guillotined. Yes, which is really the most important. <laughs> the jailer is like, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, by young child, I will assume that you mean like teenager. <laughs> and yeah, so I do remember them. Uh, the two women, he actually does refer to like the two women. She's been promoted from young child to woman now. Nice. Okay. Well, it's good to know that uh, someone is correctly interpreting the doctor's dismissal of, of Susan, but based on her age. Uh-huh. Yeah. So the jailer says that the two women were going to be executed. And, you know, the doctor, like, has a, a brief look of horror on his face before, you know, he recovers pretending to be the officer. Mm-hmm. Uh but, of course, the jailer tells them that, that, that they got rescued. He's like, you know... Many times traitors have been snatched away on the road to the guillotine. You understand, of course, that I cannot be held responsible. Yes. They were outside my jurisdiction. Yes, of course. Nice. Always got to cover your own butt. Uh-huh. Very, uh, very typical move of these bureaucrats. Doctor appreciates that. He's like, yep, cool, cool. I got that. And yeah, that's, that's all good. I'm not going to like get angry at you about them escaping, but like, what about the dude? And at this point, the jailer, you know, kind of starts like tugging on his collar nervously and looking around as he's like, uh, he kind of turns out a little bit that he escaped Turns out that he's a person of action. He was a desperate fanatic citizen. He gave me this wound. I fought with him, prepared to give my life to stop his escape. But he fought with the strength of ten men. Yes, yeah, so his 
strength bonus is at least plus 10. Doctor's like, yeah, that sounds like Ian. <laughs> he turns to leave and notices that Lemaitre is there. And apparently Lemaitre has been there for a little while and like pretty much heard this whole discussion. Hmm. So Lemaitre asks for the doctor's papers. Doctor hands him over. The jailer kind of gestures at the doctor's like outfit and sash and whatnot and says, He's a regional officer from the southern province. Yes. But Lemaitre's like, uh-huh, and did you notice the uh, price tag attached to his hat there? <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, Lemaitre's just like, I can read, thank you, Jayla. And he turns to the doctor. Apparently, the doctor's papers, like, satisfied him for now. He gives oh. them back to the doctor. Not what I expected, okay. And he's like, oh, hey, weird coincidence. Turns out I'm on my way to Robespierre to, like, deliver the latest execution numbers. And it just so happens that we were going to be discussing your province. So you should totally come along with me. That'd be totally cool and fun. <laughs> well, I know the doctor's a big uh, French Revolution stand, so I don't think he'll be able to pass up the opportunity to go hang out with Robespierre, even <laughs> if it's, you know objectively a bad idea <laughs> doctor actually kind of looks like he thinks it might be a bad idea oh okay <laughs> but but he's basically just like uh yeah cool sure i can do that we cut back to well i think we actually have like a a passage of time fade mm -hmm. because it's now later and the jailer is talking to the tailor from earlier. Uh-oh. And the jailer is telling the tailor, I keep telling you, he's just left to see Citizen Robespierre. Are you sure it's so urgent? Well, what is it about? They're putting together the pieces. Uh-huh. Yeah, it turns out the tailor has something that he wants to give to Lemaitre. Evidence against the traitor. Uh-oh. He opens his hand and shows the jailer the doctor's ring. Hmm. And the title's next episode, The Tyrant of France, appear on screen. That's a, first of all, good title. Um, but do we know where the doctor got that ring? I don't think we do. I think it's just like the doctor's ring. Okay. Interesting. I'm curious what it was about that ring that uh, the tailor found suspicious. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I think the tailor has good reason to find like the whole setup suspicious. <laughs> but sure. but yeah the ring in particular i'm not sure like why he chooses to like show the jailer the ring yeah it's it's very convenient to be like oh you're selling this uniform i happen to be that kind of officer may i, may I have it <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, my uniform. I uh, I left my pants and left my other at the dry pants. cleaners. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I left my southern province in a hurry and didn't have time to pack a spare uniform. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, I'm curious about about Susan. Like, what's going on with her? I wonder if, like, maybe the food that they got at the prison was was so spoiled or something that that's what made her ill or maybe she was just so hungry from not having eaten it all that that's what made her feel bad i don't know yeah they slight spoiler they get into it a little bit more in the next episode okay, okay. um and yeah i think but they, they don't really explain it the impression that i ended up having is basically that like she got sick from jail or, you know, from prison somehow, but it's okay. not really clear, like specifically how or why. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Other than just that it was like from being in jail, I guess. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. But, you know, I'm uh, sure the conditions in conciergery prison, they're probably, plenty of legitimate reasons that you could get sick yeah yeah and i'm glad that they gave her some reason other than just she's scared um because yeah there's a little bit too much of that like well she's a young girl and therefore you know blah 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 so and it does kind of seem at first that you know she kind of just doesn't want to escape or is like using headache or whatever as like as an excuse because she's scared or something but but yeah then later on i think it actually you know she actually is actually ill or whatnot so okay cool interesting yeah um i'm I'm curious what what direction this is all going i mean i think the uh the title um was the tyrant of the revolution uh, the Tyrant of France. The Tyrant of France. Oh, nice. So, yeah, sounds like we're probably going to be meeting Robespierre. <laughs> That's kind of where Lemaitre and the Doctor are heading anyway. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little surprised that given that we, we've heard that, that the Doctor is such a French Revolution stand that he's not more excited about this. Um, and you'd think that he, given how confident he tends to be in himself, he, he would just assume that of course his disguise is going to work and everyone's going to fall for his, his BS. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Especially since it seems to have worked so far <laughs> as far as he knows, as far as he knows. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, and of course I, I, I do love the, uh, um, people waiting in the, the alleyway to, to rescue somebody. And that just happens to work out for our heroes. Uh-huh. Always, yeah. always very convenient. Yeah, um, I think they're you know they're just doing their like weekly rescue or whatnot, and yeah. just so happens that this is this is the one. Yeah, I, I liked Ian's plan though of you know not escaping at that moment with uh, the keys that were you know the entire key ring that was left in his door, but just removing his key and then escaping later when the coast was clear. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he certainly 
could have attempted an escape right then, and it would have been much more risky than what he actually ended up doing. Yeah, that's that's clever. Um, I'm I'm curious what happened to the jailer, because um, some it sounds like maybe somebody else also escaped and hit him in the head, or maybe I don't know, maybe he just got drunk, fell down, and hit his head. Um, Maybe we'll find out. Maybe we won't. I uh, guess we'll <laughs> find out if we find out. Well, yes. come back in two weeks to find out if we find out. Yes. <laughs> and uh, we'll find out if we find out if we find out. Okay, anyway. Bye. Bye. Hi, Kyle here. The Doctor's Watcher would like to thank Circuit23 for the awesome theme song he created for us. You can find his music, including our theme, at soundcloud.com circuit23. And you can reach him at circuit.23, that's circuit.23, at gmail.com. Thanks to Benny for listening to me talk about Doctor Who, and thanks to all of you for listening to Benny listen to me talk about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at thedoctorswatcher at gmail.com or on Twitter at doctorwatcher. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you review your podcasts. Join us next time on The Doctor's Watcher. Thank you. Open again. You don't want all the prisoners to escape, do you?